Recently, a dear friend of mine passed away and was promoted to heaven. And he's the only person who ever graduated with me twice, in both college and in seminary. And he was a very, very dear friend to me. Many years ago, one day, his wife complained of a really bad headache. And so he took her to the hospital. They decided to keep her overnight. That evening he went home, and the next morning he got an emergency phone call. They said, get to the hospital very quickly. Your wife is very sick. She died before he got there. That headache was a brain aneurysm. And he was devastated. And he said to me, if I had known how sick she was, I would have never left her that evening. And then he said, Brian, treasure your wife. Treasure your wife. Because he said, if she is ever taken from you, it is going to be very, very hard. My old professor, uh, Dr. Pentecost, lived to be 99 years old, and he said the most difficult thing a man ever has to go through is losing his wife. When my mother died, my dad said this to me. He said, Brian, you just cannot understand what it's like. He said, unless you go through it, you cannot understand what it is like. And he also said to me, I wish I had said I love you to your mother more. He said, I don't know why I didn't. Well, I'll tell you, when you hear things like that, you just want to go and and grab on to your wife. And you just want to hold her. And you just want to say, honey, I love you so much. Now what those three men said about marriage is the focus of our sermon today in our series on marriage. We're coming to a message simply entitled Companionship in the Covenant of Marriage. Companionship in the Covenant of Marriage. We're going to go back and look at these three texts again that we started with. And you recall that as we began this series, we said that the foundation for marriage is a covenant. And now this morning, as we look at these texts again, we want to look at the nature of marriage. What is the nature of marriage? And here's what the Bible says. Your marriage is a companionship of closest friends who need each other. That's what your marriage and my marriage is intended to be. A companionship of closest friends who know we need each other. Now let's take our Bibles and turn again to this opening text in the book of Proverbs. Find uh, the middle of your Bible where Psalms is, turn back a book to Proverbs, and let's focus in again at these words in Proverbs 2 and verse 17, where Solomon is defining for us not only the covenant of marriage, but the nature of marriage. And notice again what he says. He says in verse 17 of chapter 2, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Now this word companion is what we are focusing on here and it is a reference to a most intimate, tender friend. It is one who is well known. Do you know this word in other places in the Bible was actually used of a lamb who had become a family pet. Did you know it was sometimes difficult to sacrifice the Passover lamb? 
because it had become a beloved pet to the family and therefore it was hard to sacrifice it on Passover. That's the same word for companion here. And the root means to instruct and may refer to the intimate fellowship that develops from people sharing and getting to know each other over time. You'll notice the word youth is found in this verse as well, and that reflects that as well. It is a close friendship that develops over many years in marriage is the idea here. Well, now let's look at Malachi again, the last book in your Old Testament, and let's notice how Malachi says essentially the very same thing, this time chapter 2, and notice with me verse 14, and you're going to pick up the very same words. Look what it says. Verse 14 of Malachi 2, but you say, why does he not accept our offerings in the context? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Now here the word companion is a different word in the original Hebrew language. It is a word that means partner. It means to be united or joined together and it implies harmony and clearly it is reflecting the one flesh idea. So it means working together to achieve life's goals while sharing all the hardship, all the pain, and all the joys that life brings. And you'll notice again the word youth is here. So it is the intimate fellowship of two who have grown together over many years as friends. Well, now let's turn back to Genesis 2 together. Remember, these truths are emphasized at the end of the Old Testament, the middle of the Old Testament, and now let's turn to the beginning of the Old Testament. And I want you to look with me at chapter 2, and let's look at verses 18 to 22 as we see the very first marriage. Notice this. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to the, all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now it is very, very clear, isn't it, as we read this text, that the intimate, tender friend the partners who are closest friends we read about in the other two verses are reflected here. It's interesting that this phrase, helper fit for him, is only found two times in the entire Old Testament. Both uses are here, verse 18 and verse 20. What the narrative is revealing for us is what God intended marriage to be. So this not only tells us what our marriage is supposed to be, 
but it tells us who to look for when we get married. Now, I want you to notice here two important things. The word helper. Helper means the assistance of a companion who is indispensable. So the idea is someone who supplies what is lacking in another person. So the woman in marriage supplies what the man is lacking, and the man in marriage supplies what the woman is lacking. And then this phrase, fit for him, a helper fit for him, literally means like opposite him. A helper like opposite him. And the idea is complementarity more than simple identity. We are not being told here just simply that the woman is identical to the man as an image bearer of God. That is true and taught with us in chapter 1, where both man and woman are in the image of God and therefore are equal and therefore have an identity. But this phrase here takes this in a different direction. Messianic Jewish scholar Franz Dalich said, if it emphasizes strictly identity, it would be a helper like him. But it is a helper like opposite him. So the emphasis is matching him, being suitable for him, corresponding to him. So putting these two phrases together, a helper fit for him, is the mutual support that an indispensable companionship provides. It's interesting, in another context, later in the book of Joshua, chapter 10 and verse 6, the word helper is used of joint help in engaging an enemy in battle. And somebody has said, as you look at this, a husband and wife are designed by God to stand together and help each other fight the battles of life. What a great image of marriage. Husband and wife are designed by God to stand together and to help each other fight the battles of life. I have a pastor friend who one day said to me, in most marriages... One partner is usually the better disciplinarian. And he said, whoever that one is has to be sure to step up or the children will lack proper discipline. And when he said that, I thought, that's, that's what my family was like. My mother was a much better disciplinarian. In fact, without her, I would have gotten into a whole lot more trouble. She, she supplied what dad lacked, and dad supplied what she lacked. They were a team. And growing up, I never, ever questioned they were a team. You know, this word rib here also means side. And so when you think about that, marriage is an alongside relationship. Your marriage, if you are married, is an alongside relationship. That's what God intended it to be. 
And I think the classic statement on this came from Matthew Henry. Listen to what he said. Eve was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Isn't that beautiful? Eve was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. It is a companionship of closest friends who know you need each other. Now there are some very clear practical implications of this, aren't there? Boy, are they. And this morning I want to talk to two different groups for just a few moments as we apply what the Bible is saying here. First of all, for those anticipating marriage. Maybe you're here today and you're a young person, or maybe you're a little bit older than that, and you are anticipating marriage. And so what would be the application to you? I think it would be this. Focus on the friendship. Focus on the friendship. Who do you suppose uh, said this? Let me read it for you, and uh, then I'll tell you in a moment who said it, but just think, who do you suppose said this? Dating doesn't train young people for marriage. It prepares them for divorce. Dating typically involves a series of short-term relationships. Even those who end up with a solid marriage often have to deal with a lot of painful emotional baggage from previous dating relationships. And aren't there a lot of us here this morning that we could say amen to that? Amen to that. That was said by former Congressman Jim Ryan, Olympic medalist and the first teenager to break the four-minute mile. And many of us would say, that's true. I recall in high school, a couple in our high school that met at their locker each and every morning. And what they did at that locker was not building a friendship. And it was on display for the whole high school to see. And here's what I want to say, just a couple things. Number one, if you are not dating, do not worry about it. Don't worry about that. I did not meet Ellen until I was 30 years of age. And that was God's timing for us. And there is no set age for everyone. God has a different plan for each person. And so if you're a young person here today and you're not dating, do not worry about that. If you are dating, just be friends. Just be friends. And if your boyfriend or your girlfriend pressures you to do something you know is improper, 
you just say, I'm not that kind of girl. I'm not that kind of boy. And if they are a real friend, they will respect your boundaries. And when you start that relationship, you have boundaries. And if you need to talk about those boundaries, you do so. Representative Ryan also said this, courtship in the context of the family enables young people to get to know each other. How wise is that? Courtship in the context of the family enables young people to get to know each other. So don't spend all your time exclusively as a pair by yourself doing things that you know are reserved for marriage alone. Spend time with each other's families. Include your friends in your relationship. Get to know each other. And then if someday you go your separate ways, you won't have regrets, scars, and emotional baggage that is very painful. What I've just shared with you, I wish somebody had shared with me when I was a teenager. It would have kept me from mistakes I made. I needed that kind of guidance and wisdom which no one ever sat down and shared with me. So if you are anticipating marriage, you focus on the friendship. Now, for those of us who are already married, take care of the friendship. If you're already married, take care of the friendship. As we've seen in the last couple of weeks, the goal of marriage is becoming one. Becoming one. And Prof. Hendricks said that is a developmental process. Let me say that again. Becoming one is a developmental process. It takes time and effort to learn how to live together as one. That does not happen overnight. And there are four dimensions of becoming one. There is spiritual oneness, soul oneness, service oneness, and sexual oneness. And it is the first two, spiritual oneness and soul oneness, that are the basis of the other areas. I want you to listen to how the late Pastor Jim Boyce describes this. Listen to his words. If it is a marriage of body with body alone, and not of soul with soul and spirit with spirit, then the marriage is weak and is headed for the divorce courts. When the glamour wears off, as it always does, if there's nothing more to sustain it, the relationship is finished. And there is either total indifference, a divorce, or adultery. A better marriage is one that is also a union of soul with soul. In other words, if you want your marriage to be satisfying, take care of the friendship. Take care of the friendship. Uh, a, a national magazine surveyed several hundred couples 
And they asked this question of each couple separately, just individual spouse in each marriage. What has kept your marriage going? Here were the top two answers. My spouse is my best friend. I like my spouse as a person. Those of us who are married today, can we say that? My spouse is my best friend. I like my spouse as a person. If you're married and you can say that, it is very likely you've been taking care of the friendship. Now I have to ask myself this question, what kind of things can keep us from treating our spouses as our best friend? If marriage is a companionship of closest friends who need each other to face the battles of life, what are the things that can keep us from treating our spouse as our best friend? Let me give you several, and here's what we should ask ourselves. Are any of these true of me? Number one, giving that status to a family member or friend. Now, all of us need good friends. Uh, a husband needs good male friends. A wife needs good female friends. That's very critical. But they should never be our best friend. That should be reserved for our spouse alone. And it goes without saying that a husband should never be seeking female friends outside his marriage. And a wife should never be seeking male friends outside of her marriage. That's reserved for your spouse alone. Here's the second thing. Not enough time for each other. Not enough time for each other. Dr. James Dobson, who founded Focus on the Family, said, Husbands and wives must guard constantly against overcommitment. And I'm sure he worded that exactly the way he meant it. We must constantly guard against overcommitment. Because if we are giving ourselves to too many other things, then the marriage friendship is going to suffer. And sometimes saying no to something else is saying yes to our marriage. Here's the third reason why sometimes we don't treat our spouse as our best friends. One of my pastor friends said this, too many couples stop dating one another after marriage. And isn't that often true? We stop doing the very things that we enjoyed doing that made us friends to begin with. And we stop dating one another after marriage. I read in the last couple of weeks about a wife who asked her husband, uh, would you please escort me to the garbage can? And he said, why would you make such a silly request? And she said, well, I just want the neighbors to know that we go out once in a while together. <laughs> I 
Does humor sometimes have a serious point? If my wife ever says to me, Brian, would you escort me to the garbage can? I'm in trouble, right? We're in trouble. What was that light wife longing for? She's longing for companionship. That's what she was longing for. Number four, an activity that has become an addiction. An activity that has become addiction, like working too much, too much of a hobby. Workaholism has ruined many marriages, and hobbyaholism has ruined many marriages. I know of a pastor on a national radio program who said this, I chose to fail at golf so I could succeed at being a father. Now he was not saying there's anything wrong with golf. What he was saying is, I don't want to become an addiction. Because if it becomes an addiction, it will ruin what's really important. And here's a question some of us need to ask. Is there something that we need to fail at so we can succeed at being a husband or a wife? Most of us, when you hear the name William Penn, only know that he founded Pennsylvania. But he also said something about marriage that is very important for us to hear. This is what William Penn said. She is but half a wife who is not a friend. And couldn't we apply that to husbands? He is but half a husband who is not a friend. And I think we all know God does not want us to have half a marriage. One of my pastor friends one time said this to me, and I think it is exactly right. He said, the real blessing of marriage is growing old together with the same person. And I think that's right. The real blessing of marriage is growing old together with the same person. And growing old where the relationship gets deeper and richer and fuller. That's what marriage is. That's what marriage is. It's a companionship of closest friends who know you need each other to face the battles of life. And if you will take care of the friendship, your marriage can become that. Let's bow together, shall we? And let's just commit our lives and our marriages to the Lord. And let's ask Him to work His plan deep into our heart. Listen, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, and for those of you that are watching online, if you're married, would you say, Lord, 
I do desire my spouse to be my best friend. And I desire to have that companionship that friends enjoy. We are united spirit to spirit. We're believers in Christ. But we also want to be united soul to soul as friends. And when those two are right, then the service oneness and the sexual oneness will take its place and, and we will be satisfied in our marriage. And so, Lord, whatever I'm doing that prevents that friendship, I acknowledge it, I repent of it, and I will take steps to change it. And if you're here today and perhaps watching online and, and maybe you're in high school, maybe you're a little older than that, maybe you're not dating, maybe you are. But would you say today, I'm going to focus on the friendship. I'm going to have clear boundaries so that I'm not doing the things that are reserved for marriage and therefore complicating my life and the life of my friend should we ever decide to go our separate ways. And then for all of us today who can look back on our lives and say, I wish I had gotten better guidance. I made some poor choices. Well, today we were singing about the mercy at the cross the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ, the relationship that he offers of grace and healing and restoration. There are no perfect marriages here today, just sinners who have been saved by a great God whose past has been covered and who are now walking with him into a better future. And that can be true of you. Do I have regrets? Of course. Do you have regrets? Certainly. But they can be put under the blood of Christ, left in the past, and we can walk with Jesus into the future. Lord God, hear our prayers today. Thank you for being our Lord and Savior. For your sake. Amen.